Hello and welcome to the Peter Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer and on today's show we meet ex-Governor General Sir Peter Cosgrove to talk about his new book. But he really opened up with us and talked about uh, how he could switch from being on one hand one of the nicest blokes in the world, and he is, to becoming virtually a killer. That I think his answer would be quite eye-opening to a lot of normal people out there. I then talked to the CEO of the Australian Shareholders Association, John Cowling, on what his group actually does for shareholders and how at the moment they really are against Zoom AGMs, which makes lives far too easy for boards who need to be accountable, he argues. And then Maureen Jordan, the founder of tillymoney.com.au, talks about the great stories that her website has added over the past month. And one in particular I'm interested in is about how you can protect your password by using something called a passphrase. That and more on the Peter Switzer Show. Joining me on the program now is Sir Peter Cosgrove, former Governor General of Australia, former General as well of the Armed Forces, uh, with unbelievable letters after his name, A-K-C-V-O-M-C. I might ask him about them later, but they're all a reflection, I think, of a man who's achieved a lot and given a lot to his country. Pete, thanks for coming on the program. Peter, it's been good to be with you. And one of the ones that's not there is board member with scars. <laughs> yeah. We must work out a, a, a series of letters to show that. But, P- Peter, I've got to say to you, as someone who went to the same school as me, Waverley College, I find it very hard to call any of my schoolmates Sir Peter. I, it's not going to happen. You know that. Well, it's not a lot there, are there? <laughs> no. I mean, this, is a, this is one of these uh, anomalies of our modern times that we return briefly to uh, – you know, uh, titles, uh, and uh, and now we, but it, it's now a, sort of an historical punctuation mark. Yeah, yeah. Look, look. I'm really glad that one of my old boy mates became a Sir Peter Cosgrave, but there's just no way a Waverlyan can talk to another Waverlyan with a Sir in it. You know that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we used to call uh, the headmaster, uh, you know, uh, Mad Mick, as I remember. <laughs> so that wasn't very reverential, was oh, no, it? No, it wasn't. And. But my favourite Mad Mick story was, um, you know how he used to line people up at lunchtime to get to get the uh, the cuts, um, yes. and there was a long queue of, of poor poor blokes who'd been sent down to get belted by the headmaster. And one day, uh, I don't know if you recall this story, uh, a kid from um, the PMG, the post office, turned up yeah. on a bike to give him a telegram, and uh, <laughs> he got on the queue. He got on the queue. And, and they, they, they used to wear pale blue shirts like Waverley College. And, and then when he got to, to uh, Mad Mick, he, he was waving the telegram, and Mick said in his Irish voice, oh, what's that silly paper? Give me your hand. And he gave the kid two straps, and, and the kid blew up. And then all in the end, I think uh, I think uh, the headmaster went to Mario Devries and said, oh, I'll give him $10 and tell him to get out of here. <laughs> That's the way they sorted it. And the kid oh, took famous. it. <laughs> Great story. Anyway, mate, yeah. let's go on with your story. What a title of a book. Yep. Look, you shouldn't title, have joined. Yes. It's a wonderful title in the sense that everybody says, tell me about the title. Mm. And look, the way I'll put it, and let's imagine there's 50 soldiers there in front of you and you are the rough, tough sergeant major, the, the bringer of bad news to soldiers who are getting their allocation of jobs for the day mm. and they know you're going to give them a rotten job and you do. You give, them, give these soldiers a rotten job to do and they all look downcast 
and you look at them right in the eye and you say in that age-old army way, come on, fellas, you're in the army, get on and do it. Remember, you shouldn't have joined if you can't take a joke. Mm -hmm. It's emblematic of the whole idea of do your job, do it with good humour. Yeah. What, was there any time in your life, because I, I presume you were in the cadets at school. Yep. Were, were you the adjutant or the RSM or what? what, what, what uh, how I was, high the, you I was just... I was a senior cadet in the last year of school. Yeah, 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 okay. So 64, I was the senior uh, cadet under officer. Yeah, okay. So did you know you were going to go into the Army? And if you did, was there any time where you said, gee, I'm sorry I, I decided to do this. This is a lot harder than I thought. Oh, yes. That first year for me was a shocker at Duntrand. And the second year, hardly uh, better because I was still very immature and I, uh, I really needed to organise myself. At Waverley College, though, when I was making these career decisions, uh, I did think of some other stuff. I thought of being a journalist. I thought of being a teacher. I thought of being a lawyer, policeman, and, and a soldier. Mm. And when I said to my parents, look, I, I want to be a soldier, my dad said to me, look, you've got a good education at Waverley. Have a crack at being an officer. Mm. That is to go into training as an officer. And that was uh, – I, I made the right decision, but boy, oh, boy, was I – uh, questioning myself in that first year and the second year mm. until eventually I sort of got a bit more organised and a bit more confident. So what year was it, and, and, and put it in context of the Vietnam War? Okay. We go to Vietnam in 1965 in, in a big way. We'd had some advisors there before that, but they were smaller numbers and salted in amongst the South Vietnamese Army. Mm. Uh, in 65, we start to send troops, one RAR, went on its first tour of Vietnam. So now, in a very noticeable way, Australians were back at war. And then, uh, so that's the year I went to Duntroon. Mm. And uh, I, uh, and from that point on, we kept sending more and more soldiers so that we reached a peak in around 68, 69. All right. So your mum must have been petrified you were going to Vietnam. Uh, yes, but she was very stoic because... It was, it was an army family. Her mm. father had been in World War One and World War Two. She married Dad during the war. He was in the second AIF, and Dad served on after the war. So Dad was still in the army when I made my decision. Mm. He he made sure I was aware of every one of the drawbacks, not least, you know, the danger of being in conflict, but secondly, the separations, the frequent moves, impact on families, all that stuff. He made made me aware of that. But when I said, well, thanks, Dad, I am intent, he was secretly delighted, mm. very proud. Yeah. It's amazing because some, some people just couldn't cope with the, the potential risk that you put your, your, you know, your beloved son or, or daughter in harm's way. It's, it's a, an amazing um, development of a, of a family, like your mum and dad, to be able to accept that that's what you want to do, but with all those risks associated. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like in Vietnam? Uh, well, I was an infantry platoon commander, so that meant uh, we had to carry the fight to the North Vietnamese Army and the Viet Cong, uh, and they were in some ways almost interchangeable in terms of the fact that they were armed, aggressive, some, some of them very well trained, uh, and they were a deadly foe. They were very courageous, so mm. it was going to be highly dangerous because, mm. you know, you weren't, sort of chasing people who were unskilled or uh, lacking courage. They had 
all that they needed. Mm. I'm thinking about you know, your training and Australian's uh, training is r- renowned for being you know, world-class. But what was it like when you, you really had to face someone who was out there who was going to kill you? Did, were you scared? Okay. Uh, no, you're apprehensive about applying your training. You, you don't know until you're actually in a battle how you're personally going to go. Will you, will you uh, first of all, be able to function as you're supposed to and lead to make good decisions rather than foolish ones or make decisions rather than make, do nothing? Will you freeze? Will you run away? All that sort of stuff. That's always of direct concern. Uh, you don't show that, but it's in the back of your mind. And then uh, when uh, eventually the moment arrives, fortunately for me and for so many others, your training clicks in and you do what you've got to do and you are ferociously focused on getting your people through in one piece and prevailing over your enemy, that you will do your job. Nobody will run away. You'll go forward you'll fight. Mm. So uh, when those things characterise what happens at the end of it, you are relieved, you're exhilarated, especially if your team, your your men have survived. Uh, and you, there's also a faint tinge of melancholy because you have taken lives. Mm. Your group has taken lives. And, you know, you're allowed to and you, it's, I think, very humanising to say, well, we did our job, but somebody uh, in some household, uh, these chaps aren't going home because now they've, you've, we've killed them. Pete, have you thought about what seems to me as I listen to you? It's like, it's like a dichotomy must develop where, see, I, I know you and, and I kind of see you as a, you know, a soft, affable dad slash grandfather slash husband. But when you when you were in the field doing what you had to do, you, you must have become like a military robot where you're, the, the quality of your processes and the systems you've been taught means that you click into that persona. Have you, is that true? Uh, I just take away the word robot. You become a, a trained military person uh, that is capable of and intent on applying lethal force if necessary. Mm. Um, so I want to be all those earlier and and uh, uh, human characteristics you ascribed. I want to I want to be able to do that as long and as far-reachingly as I can. But uh, for any army person, there is this other side of you which has to do that. If your uh, people are to survive and overcome, you have to have that hard side. And I've got it. Mm. I know that. Did, so do my soldiers. Did you have it when you went in? Like, you know, were you the, the, the tough guy in the school if you had to be, even though you, you obviously were well-behaved, you wouldn't have got the position you did, but were you a knuckle man if you had to be? No. Uh, yeah, I had the odd sort of push and shove, the odd throwing of punches at school because, you know, I was – Tuck shop, at a, tuck at shop a, cue, someone pushing on a tuck shop, yeah? Uh, well, that sort of stuff. Yeah. No, nothing, yeah. And, you know, uh, I was never regarded at school as – being a pugilist, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you you have to have a tough side. I probably discovered mine at Duntroon on the rugby field. Mm. At Waverley, I had been 
uh, an indifferent sportsman. I was a bit of a weed and I was in one of the lower grades. I wasn't very skillful, so I was appropriately graded. Yeah, I think the sevens or eights were uh, <laughs> okay. I, I revel. I reveled in them. Uh, but uh, when I got to Duntree and I put on size, a lot of fitness, and uh, was very aggressive on the rugby field. Mm. So I, I sort of knew that I I could uh, toughen up if I had to, but uh, rugby ultimately is somewhat different to combat mm. uh, because you have people who are not particularly athletic at all can be absolutely demons on the battlefield. Yeah, yeah. Um what was the intent of the book? Right. Uh, in 2006, when I had finished being in the military, I had thought then that was the end of my public life. I thought it was a pretty interesting uh, combination of young Paddington boy from a working-class suburb, goes through an interesting life, has enormous luck near the back end, of course, and ends up being chief of the Defence Force. And uh, in that job, went through interesting times. I thought there's a story in there. I wanted to tell it. That's, so that's that story. And I thought, well, that's the end of that. And then uh, I had these interesting times on boards. I was on the Qantas board uh, and I've written about that. And I was on some other boards and I did some uh, disaster relief. That's interesting. And mm-hmm. then I got the Governor General job and that was fascinating. All of that, I thought, well, I kept saying, Peter, that somebody's got to write about this some of the things like mm. the industrial stuff with Qantas, all that stuff. And eventually that crystallised into, well, somebody's got to write about it, I'm going to write about it. So the publisher said, good, do write about that, that's wonderful. But And they put this delicately to me. Not everybody in Australia has read your earlier book, so perhaps you should go back and have vignettes or mm. some earlier references. So I did that, and that's why it's – the front half of the book is a bit different from my earlier book. Mm. Okay. So you said to me earlier, battle scars from being a director. So, yeah. So when you – like obviously they, they dragged you in because, you know, your reputation was great, you know, leadership's important, boards should have leaders on them. What, what staggered you about – how easy or how hard it is to be a director? I think being a director benefits from uh, the individual having uh, a long association with the pressures of business. I don't say that every board member should have that, but uh, there has to be a deep strain of commercial experience on a board Mm. because only through that background can, as, as a board, you help your management to be guided on things like business strategy, on market forces, on competition, on compliance, on industrial relations, and on uh, the, the ethos of your business. Um, because I understand ethos. I'm a great one for... Uh, identifying it and exploiting it and building it. But there is peculiar ethos to business where people are seized of the uh, centrality of brand loyalty. Uh, I'll give an example of a great corporate titan, Roger Corbett, during his time at Woolies. I had the opportunity to talk to a great group of Woolies employees and watch the guy 
watch the guy have that grouping of uh, Woolies employees eating out of his hand. I thought he has this enormous uh, sort of loyalty to the brand of Woolies. And uh, and I, I went to school on that a bit, and I obviously observed it in Qantas and some of the other boards I was on, uh, but to greater and lesser extent. So to me, uh, in amongst that whole range of qualities, I think a board uh, member ought to have uh, this this sort of uh, connection with ethos is very important. Mm. If someone reads the book, as I'm going to be reading over Christmas, that's the time I catch up with things like this, Pete, what, what do you think is going to be the biggest impact on someone who, A, they knew you were Governor-General and they saw you being wheeled out on important occasions and whatever and they would have respected your, your, your history, but what do you think someone's going to learn from this book? Well, I think they will find out uh, – a lot more about what the uh, the de facto head of state does. And I like to think that if down the track people say we should have you know, an Australian uh, closed loop of governments, let our uh, lead person not be de facto anything, let that person be the head of state, right, will understand what the present de facto head of state does uh, where we have a constitutional monarchy system. Understand that because that gives you an insight into one thing which is really important to me, Peter, and that is we, when we go forward and we think we might uh, contemplate some new system, understand the centrality and success of parliamentary democracy. That is the parliament in the, uh, in the parliament uh, the, 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 the government in the parliament being held accountable every day. I want people to consider after the last week of watching the presidential election in the United States, compare that system with our system, where uh, on election day, quite clearly, people make two choices. Do they like their local member? And is that local member of the party that they believe will do best for Australia? So they balance that, cast a vote. Later that same day or often just the next day, we know who's going to form government. Mm -hmm. And then that coalition presents to the Governor-General through their uh, party leader and that person gets a commission as Prime Minister and we're on for young and old. They're accountable in the Parliament. And a few years after the event, we refresh, we re-elect or we chuck them out and get a new lot. One last one, Pete. Um, uh, I'm, you know, given your background, you know, Irish Catholic Waverlians. Uh, I don't know whether Cosgrove is really Irish Catholic, but you hang out with all of Irish Catholics. The, Kelly, the <laughs> Kellys, the O'Donoghues, even the Switzers. Like Switzer was a Dublin, uh, was a Dublin Irish store. But go on. No, no, uh, County Tyrone. And when I told the President of Ireland. <laughs> That's where my ancestors came from. He said, oh, you're a Protestant. <laughs> and I said, no, no, Mr. President, we were Catholics and we must have been one of the few sets of Catholics in County Tyrone because that's, that's up in Ulster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so the, 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 thing I, the question I want to ask you is, is the final one, is that um, could we go to a republic or change the way we're doing things and just have a governor general that's not accountable to the monarchy in Britain. Would, would is that something that would work? You, you have thought yeah, about whether it would, would or not. 
Okay. Uh, this is all hypothetical, yeah. but I, I would say you could do that, but here's the rub. Then what you don't want is a Governor-General who is solely appointed by the Prime Minister of the day. Yeah. Because at the moment, the PM would come up with a new name. Uh, whether the PM talks to colleagues is is closed to me, I don't know. Mm. Uh, but let's, the PM comes up with a name, sends it off to the Queen, who is the constitutional head of state for Australia. The Queen gets one name and says, thank you, Prime Minister, I agree that name, and away you go. But if we chopped off that line of communication, you couldn't have a Governor-General picked by a Prime Minister and expect that the Prime Minister uh, could be uh, unilaterally sacked yeah. under certain circumstances mm. by the Governor-General. So you need a slightly tweaked method of achieving the Governor-General, delete Governor-General, insert President, uh, so that there is that preservation of the separation, the actual separation of the two uh, uh, positions. What you would do, perhaps, is have a small commission that would bring a name to the governor, to the prime minister, and the leader of the opposition in a closed, confidential session, and say, "Ladies and gentlemen, or both ladies, here is the here is the name, here is the name," and they, through convention that we have to establish, say, "Thank you." They go to a closed session of their parties. They tell their parties. They go into a closed session of the parliament. Ten minutes later, they voted unanimous, well, with enough majority to uh, appoint the person, and there you go. And the person can't be removed without a, a sort of a, a large vote of the parliament. Yeah. I tell you what, Pete, it seems so um, complicated. I think I'd rather stick with what we got. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, look, uh, uh, to me, I wanted to ventilate the issues because I'm really, really uh, sold on the idea that the, the the government of the day must perform every day in the parliament and is held accountable and disagreed with and criticised, not only by the media and the electorate, but by the opposition, mm. uh, who also sit on committees to uh, pressure test all likely legislation. Pete, as always, great to talk to you, mate. I hope the book sells well. Uh, it's called... You shouldn't have joined uh, by Sir Peter Cosgrove. There, I said, I, was, I said, Sir Peter, um, and it's been great pleasure talking to you, mate. From one wave early into another, Virtus sola nobilitat. <laughs> That's the school motto. Yes, I All know. The best, mate. Cheers, mate. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. Well, it's ad time and with interest rates on a downward slope, Australian investors may be forced to reconsider their investment strategy and find other income earning opportunities. Join us at the 2020 Switzer Income Conference, where some of the smartest finance minds in the country will show you how you can maximise your income investments while keeping the risk as low as possible. Held virtually via Zoom and hosted by myself and Paul Rickard, the conference will include both leading local and global managers. The day will consist of presentations and panel Q&A sessions focusing on investing at home and abroad. Across these interactive panels, the presenters will tell us how they invest for income, the risk-reward trade-off when investing for income, their view on the current markets, opportunities for income at both home and abroad, 
abroad and the future trends they see shaping income investing. The audience will also have an opportunity to ask questions via Zoom to get a deeper understanding of how these experts are investing. We hope you can join us on Tuesday the 24th and Wednesday the 25th of November. Tickets are limited, so be sure to book your seat before they run out at switzerevents.com.au. Joining me on the program is John Cowling, who's the CEO of the Australian Shareholders Association at a time when a lot more shareholders are joining the uh, the stock market. And I'm sure some people who have been incumbent members are a little bit concerned about things like virtual AGMs and things like that. John, thanks for joining us. Good day, Peter. Happy to be there. Let me give you an interesting fact that um, I don't think the media have picked up on lately. I interviewed John Gusick, the MD of Webjet, and that was only last week. And uh, he said to me, how many retail investors do you – we said, I actually had 10,000 retail investors before the coronavirus. He said, how many do you think I've got now? I said, I'll double. He said, 65,000. Isn't that a huge increase? And I suspect a lot of younger, new investors have joined the the community. So I would say your potential reach is on the on the rise. Are you seeing the same kind of thing? Well, the um, we we are noticing a younger group joining us, and uh, that's it's that's pretty good for us. Yeah. In the past, most of our members are baby boomers mm. and uh, as baby boomers the reason they set the, the uh, asa up 60 odd years ago was because they were a bit unhappy with the way companies were being run mm. baby boomers like taking their destiny into their own hands and so they formed the association and then went along to meetings and started to quiz the directors and 60 years later we're still here but the baby boomers have all got older, <laughs> and so we need we need the next lot to come. New blood, in new blood. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So, in a nutshell, what does the Australian Shareholders Association (ASA) do? So, we've got uh, 110 volunteers that watch companies. We watch the top ASX companies, and. Uh, we, we look after about 260. Mm-hmm. And so some, some volunteers do, you know, watch one company, some watch more. I personally, I watch three. I watch Dexas, I watch Perpetual Equity, and I watch Harvey Norman. Mm-hmm. And uh, our chairman, he watches six. So it's, it's a, a range. Yeah. And what we do, we, we watch them all year long. We look at the annual reports. We look at the way they pay themselves. And uh, if there's any controversial issues, and then we go and speak to them. And we tell them what we think about whatever controversial issue it is. So you can imagine when we went and saw Westpac a couple of years back, we had a few things to say to them. Mm. And, uh, and then we go to the annual general meeting. And at the annual general meeting, we raise questions. We never ambush chairman. We always tell them what we're going to say first. And... Uh, we ask the questions on behalf of all retail shareholders. For example, last week, we went to 11 AGMs, and at five of them, we voted against the remuneration reports mm. because we thought that the remuneration report 
overpaid the CEO or the incentives weren't right. And uh, next week, we're going, or this week, the one we're in now, we're, we're going to 20. Mm. And we've got a, another six companies that we think could do better in the way they remunerate their, their chief executives. Mm. And uh, sometimes the incentives are too easy. Sometimes they're short term. Sometimes they're just all cash. We, we like CEOs to be incentivized in the same way that shareholders. And so if profits go up, they, we're happy that CEOs get more, mm. more pay. But um, this year, so far, Peter, we've been to 180 AGMs, of which 170 were virtual. And mm. we've got another 100 to go to before Christmas. So we've got plenty of experience at, at um, going to AGMs and knowing what goes on. What do you think of the virtual AGM? We don't like it. Uh, we're, we're not against change, Peter. We, we think the answer is hybrid AGMs. Now, let me just explain the difference. A virtual AGM is just like watching the TV. There's no interaction between you and them. The directors can hide behind flat screens. We Obviously, we can ask questions. We can send questions in. And most, most technologies allow you to ask questions at the time. But there's no to and fro. Like, if the, the, the questions that we ask could get dotted, could get omitted, or could be asked in a way that we didn't really intend to be asked. And so um, we don't like that. Now, the difference between a virtual AGM, which is where it's just like a podcast, uh, ju just like a webcast, with a hybrid AGM, there's actually a room where the directors sit, or most of them sit, and shareholders, some shareholders sit. Mm. And so you can have an interplay. Uh, many, of, many of your listeners would have been to an AGM where shareholders queue up to the microphone and ask questions. And if a chairman gives them BS, they ask them again and they, they come back. Now you can't have that flow between the shareholders and the directors that gives it life. Mm. And so we, we want that life to be there. And so if anything, we'd support, in fact, very much support hybrid AGMs. Yeah, because it seems to me, John, when I first you know, saw people doing virtual AGMs, I thought, well, on one hand, we understand it's coronavirus. You can't assemble people. And the, and the plus of it is, is a whole lot of people who would never travel, for, say, from Newcastle to Sydney yeah. for an AGM, yeah. they, can, they can watch and they can participate. But you're absolutely right. When you need to stick it to a board, you have to do it face-to-face, -face, don't you? And, yes. And so is, is the ASX supporting the idea of hybrids or are they trying to make them all virtual going forward? Yeah, they're trying to make them virtual going forward. Well, they're going to lose, aren't they? They're going to lose on that. I, I would think so. I would think so. The um, take take this this week for example. You've got two well followed companies. There's Fortescue and West Farmers. So mm. <laughs> you and I, we're not going to Perth to go to the AGM. No, but w but we can log on to the website and watch it now. Fortescue, great company, has um, it's doing hybrid. So there'll be that to and fro mm. between the shareholders, 
it could be could be us mm. here in Sydney or people in Brisbane. Yeah, if they let you in the, in the WA, you'd probably be going over there, but you can't, you're not allowed in. <laughs> they won't let us in. <laughs> right, guy, right. But West Farmers, West Farmers are just doing a virtual one. Mm. So I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how those two um, AGMs work out to see which one feels like an AGM and which one feels flat. And also, you get technological glitches and things like that, which can ruin a very important event. Absolutely. I mean, retail shareholders get one chance a year to front up to a board, look them in the eye, and ask them tough questions. Mm. One chance a year. And just to have a, a, a virtual AGM where there's that, not, not that to and fro, I think is very, very disappointing. And what we're encouraging all our members to do, of course, is to um, is to write to their local members and just complain about it. Just say that they heard this is happening. We don't support it. Please tell the minister responsible. Who is the, the minister responsible? Because, you know, you, you think that assisting you guys should be ASIC because ASIC patrols mm. public companies. So who's the, the, the relevant minister? That Senator Jane Hume is the, is the minister responsible for this area. Yeah. And uh, she's also responsible for... The super um, as well. Super as well. And mm. they've made some pretty significant changes to the super scheme, some mm. good changes to the super scheme. So I'm not being critical. Mm. I just think that they didn't realise the, the importance of the to and fro. Mm. But Peter, it's just not this. There's, there's two... There's one other issue. There's two issues. One is the virtual, and the second is the receiving all the um, communications from the company electronically. Mm. And we don't like that either because mm. um, you can imagine there's quite a few people who don't like to use computers that don't have emails. And so if all of a sudden all communications are by email from the company to the shareholder, then quite a few shareholders will miss out on getting that communication. And that's just not fair. What are, what are the public companies arguing? Are they arguing that it will, will result in a big cost saving and help yes. the bottom line? Is, yes. is there any evidence where it is a significant material issue? No, mm. no, no. In fact, um, if it was, I think they would have put it on the table. Mm. We would have seen the numbers. but. The numbers have not been put on the table. But anyway, I mean, it takes a lot. It costs a lot to have an election, and uh, an election is an important event. Now, companies go to the annual general meeting and they ask shareholders to vote and vote their proxies in favour or against resolutions. So the shareholders have got a voice in whether a particular resolution carries or not. And uh, I think it's wrong if they disenfranchise people. In fact, we had we had a call last week from a guy in uh, outback Queensland. He's 80 kilometres from the nearest town. He's been a Westpac shareholder for over 30 years and he doesn't have the internet. Mm. So what's he going to do? And if, if they make a rights issue or when they send when they when they send notice of meetings, he won't know. Yeah. So what is the government saying to you on these, these matters? Well, at the moment, we're, we're just lobbying the mm. government to try and get them to change their mind. I think, you know, we're not against change. And so if they go hybrid, 
that gets it, it covers the best of both worlds. It's a sensible, reasonable compromise. And for the electronic communications, it's quite simple. You could say to all shareholders, you're going to get everything electronically unless you opt in. And if you opt in, you tick the box, we'll send you stuff through the post. Mm. Now that's, again, it's a totally straightforward, common sense idea. So um, Jane Hume is the, the key person to put the pressure yeah. on, eh? Yeah, yeah, well, yes. Well, to explain our point of view, because yeah. um, I, I think once you get the point, once a conversation like this takes place, it, it's just so straightforward. So logical, yeah. And yeah. so, but yeah. at this point in time, the government hasn't given you a position no, either way? No, no, no. Okay. We're, we're, we're actually running a, a conference. Uh, starts this week, Tuesday, Thursday. And uh, Jane's talking at the conference, so okay. we'll, get, we'll get a chance. I spoke to her chief of staff and, and explained our viewpoint and said we'd probably put that to her at the conference because, I, again, I don't want to ambush anybody. And uh, I hope she'll, um, she'll address this issue. Yeah, she's, historically she's seemed pretty sensible, so yeah. you might get yeah. yourself a, a decent yeah. hearing, mate. I think so. I think that the, the, the moves she's made on super are very, very positive. Mm. And uh, so, you know, tickets to her for doing that. You know, well done. One last thing before you go, for anyone listening out there, what's the the best pitch that you would put to someone out there who's thinking about joining the Australian Shareholders Association? The the thing I find most important is the communication between the members. And so, Peter, as you know, when you invest, the best thing you can do is not make a real clangor not buy a stock that's real disaster. Uh, if you buy a whole heap of stocks and they're all just reasonable provide, you know, reasonable return, then that's great. But if you buy a clanger, you lose your capital. Now, if you join the ASA, you can talk to other members and ask them what they think. And uh, nobody's in it. We're a not-for-profit, mm. so nobody's trying to make money out of you. When you get a view about a stock, you know it's going to be... From the heart, it's it's a genuine, a genuine opinion, and so when I meet other people, uh, I, I have I run a group of about forty members in um, Concord in Sydney, and when I go there, there's nearly a thousand years of investing experience in the room, mm. so any young person that can come along to that meeting can do what my mum always used to say, put a old head on young shoulders. <laughs> That's what they need to yeah, do. Sure. She said, I could never do it. You could never put on a young, an old head on young shoulders, but you can if you come to one of our meetings. Okay. And are you Zooming at this stage? Um, yes, you yeah, are. We're Zooming and webinars. But Peter, if I can just make one last comment, please. And that is most, most of the people listening to your show would have shares mm. and most of them would get notices of meeting and proxy forms and they would throw the proxies in the bin. And uh, that's a waste of their vote. And so what I would love them to do is fill the proxy form in, make the ASA their representative at the meeting. They know we're going to stick up the small shareholders and go along and stick it to the board if the board's doing the wrong thing. And so give us your proxy. Great stuff. Thanks for joining us, John. Okay, mate. See you. That's John Cowling from the Australian Shareholders Association. Hey, Peter. Hi, Claire. 
<laughs> Did you know that women retire with 47% less superannuation than men? Yeah, I did, Claire, because for something like 30 years, I've been trying to get women to be real and men to be really educated about their super. And I think it's been terrible to think that women's superannuation is so low. Exactly. But did you also know that one in two women see investment industry communications as being complicated? A large number feel intimidated and about one in five find them tailored to men. Yeah. I haven't seen that that data, mm. um, but I'm not surprised. I think a lot of men get intimidated by by money and super and all that sort of stuff. But one thing I have learned over the years is that when women get really interested, they're better at managing money than men. Exactly. Oh, I see how quickly you came in on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we're aiming to do with Tilly Money. Yeah. So Tilly Money is a place to come and learn about money, how to understand it, harness it, and importantly, how to grow it. So we're trying to help women achieve their financial independence by removing any disparity in the accessibility of financial knowledge. So Peter, visit tillymoney.com.au where you can read our articles, sign up to the newsletter or listen to the podcast. Isn't it amazing that for someone like me, who my whole life I've been inspired by my wife, Maureen Jordan, Mm. that she's come up with an idea like Tilly. Who would have thought? Well, we're now going to do our monthly catch-up with Maureen Jordan, the founder of tillymoney.com.au. Welcome, Maureen. Hello, Peter. Uh, Maureen, just before I ask you what you guys have been up to on your wonderful money website, have you ever thought about creating like a little ditty like um, people would be silly not to go to Tilly or something like that? Have you ever thought about something as creative as that? No, I can't say I have, but I'll put, it, I'll put it to the team. It's not bad. Not bad. We'll, we'll, we'll workshop that. How about every woman would be silly if they didn't go to Tilly Money. I didn't rhyme, did it? No, um, no. No. Let's, uh, let's move on. Yeah, yeah, let's get someone who actually knows what he's talking about when it comes to marketing stuff. That's right. All right. So the big topics, um, have you guys covered them? Like, for example, the US election? Look, we didn't, um, we didn't go. We're a, we're a money website, okay? We're wanting to improve the financial literacy and therefore independence, financial independence for women. So we didn't get – we don't want to be political. Now, of course, there are money implications attached to the outcome of um, yep. that election. So we covered it in brief. Um, we highlighted – you know, certain powerful women who are involved in um, US politics. But getting into the debate, you know, that I watched it, you know, mm. I was glued to the television set and constantly um, on the phone to your sister in Los Angeles mm. because they were, you know, part of California, obviously a Democrat state. You know, they were wanting particularly the removal of a certain president. Um, mm. So we don't want to be political in Tilly money. But you're being political. You're but I'm be- about- well, look, you know, as a female, as a strong, you know, independent woman, mm. I was quite happy to see, you know, a certain Mr. Trump go. His philosophies and mine didn't align. But then mm. again, this is democracy. There are people out there, 70 million plus Americans voted for him. Yeah. So I'm only a person that holds one opinion and I don't have a franchise yeah. in America anyway. Mm. But I know where- I know which way I would have voted if yeah. I did. Yeah, Donald's the kind of guy that 
For four years, you can cope with him. His tweets were marvellously mm. funny and shocking at times. And you know, there was a, there was a, a Donald Trump stock market rally. Um, the, the big question, I guess, going forward will be: Will Biden help help or hurt the stock market? Did you guys think about you know speculating on that kind of thing? Look, we didn't. We didn't really get into that so much. We we skirted around it because we're in the very early days of Tilly. So for us to get, you know, jump in Too straight heavy. that because we're actually talking about, well, what is the stock market? What's a share? What's a dividend? You know, what is, what is, um, you know, Frank? What's franking credits? You know, we're going through all these terms. So for us to just suddenly come in, will there be a rally? You know, post Trump or post Biden? Yeah. Well, you know, there was a rally post um, Biden for mm. anyone that like myself that's you know, invested in shares, you know, I'm delighted by the reaction. And that may have occurred if there had been a, a Trump yeah, victory as well. We yeah. don't know. But, but um, you know, all of those kind of things. We want to teach first. We want to give knowledge. And then one day, maybe in four years down the track, if Mr Trump decides to return, mm. we might get on a different kind of bandwagon then. Who okay. knows? NADOC week. Um, really important to a lot of Australians. What have you guys done there? Well, we just we wanted to shed some light on some absolutely incredible Aboriginal women-run businesses um, because these women are carrying forward the culture and the history of our first Australians. Now, I had the absolute delight. Um, I've always had an involvement with Women in Focus, which is uh, a female-centred um, forum for women that the Commonwealth Bank runs. In mm. fact, I launched it for them down here in Pitt Street at yep. the old Commonwealth Bank, Bank building years ago, and I was very much involved and I've been to a couple of their conferences. Now, I had the pleasure of sitting next to Jaron, a woman called Jaron Bagent. Um, she was with the Redfern Police at the time and mm. I was going out to one of the events or it might have been one of the dinners and I sat next to her. Fabulous, fabulous lady, really impressive, you know, has kids, part of the Redfern Police um, force. She left there. She was disgruntled with certain things within um, her role and within the way things are run generally. But And she's opened this business and it's called Jaron Street. Mm. And if you go online... Um, she does um, yoga mats. She does active wear, you know, which all of us, you know, mm. we, we walk the streets in active wear, you know, Whole regularly. Is, but, active wear. And these have got the most incredibly beautiful motives, you know, incredibly beautiful designs. It's stuff that I would definitely buy. Mm. And so we're celebrating Jaron for that. And she's made the hard move from being an employee public servant, police, mm. into a business, yeah. you know. So, And she looks to be doing it very, very well. And there are other businesses as well that we've celebrated and written stories. Um, one of them is a, a, um, a First Food Co. by a woman, Karen Perks. You know, she gets into all these beautiful um, jams and dried herbs and food products, some of them that um, are made with typical Indigenous-type products, mm. but they just taste good. Mm. And, mm. Uh, and then... There's a, a one called the unexpected guest. You know, Pete, when people pop in for breakfast, I don't think they do that much anymore. But I particularly no, we, we go to cafes, don't we? But, where, yeah, but yeah. there's still pop in people. Pop I think. People, look, yes. remember this: there are there are poor parents out there who get invaded by their sons and daughters, particularly when they're out of money or they want their clothes washed. And while they're getting that sort of stuff done, they they, they raid the fridge, they, they raid the cupboard. They yes, do. so the unexpected guest is often uh, uh, an expected guest. Well, that's right. Well, Jenny Khan has. Um, started a business called The Unexpected Guest and she's into, as we well know this from our own children, mm. oh, they're not children anymore, you know, they're, they're still, into... They're still popping. And they still people. eat, yeah. Mm. And, uh, but, you know, they get into all the vegan, you know, all the yeah. good good stuff. They were raised like that but um, but maybe not so much vegan. But uh, mm. but Karen's, uh, Jenny's business um, produces this organic muesli 
It's top stuff. Yum, yum, delicious. Okay. And, you know, that's just there. You don't have to do anything. Grab some almond milk, soya milk, skim milk. <laughs> Use your um, organic muesli. Was there any there. common like, – get off that, Maureen. Was there any common <laughs> link between these three businesses? Because, you know, they're Indigenous women. Uh, they're having a go. Was there anything that was either holding them back or even giving them an advantage? Because I would have thought there would be some government departments who would really help Indigenous Australians having a crack at setting up a business. Certainly there are departments like that. Mind you, there's a lot of government departments that help anyone starting yeah, up true. a business, you know, and lots of um, quasi, you know, um, organisations that uh, that support business owners as well. But no, they, these were three women who, as you said, they're having a go and mm. they're doing it well. Okay. Um, you've also looked at, uh, is it time to look at a better home loan rate? Well, what, what did you discover? Well, it's an, is there no better time? Um, Best with, time ever. With rates so low. Now, I have to um, do an aside here. Mortgage choice, right from the word go, under mm. the auspices of wonderful Susan, the CEO, um, they've been backing us at Tilly Money. Yeah. And, uh and they've, um, we from time to time seek their expertise um, about, um, you know, mortgages. When should you renegotiate your mortgage? Is it time to, you know, now to get a home loan? Of course, you just said it with interest rates so low. And with Dr. Phil, RBA governor, saying that at least three years they won't be going up, that may change. Mm. But um, locking in these incredibly low interest rates, I mean, I just Could did. Could be good for some Could people. Could be good. you're not giving advice here, Maria. No, 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 no. No, total education, Pete. But I did lock in um, a, a loan that I have for uh, four years, 1.99%. Mm. It's pretty low. Terrific. And, uh, and so we've, we've got articles. All of this, we're split up Tilly Money into different asset classes. One of them, of course, is property. And um, Aussies love property and, you know, making sure that you get the very best deal when it comes to the property that you buy and the loan that you're engaged in is um, really important. And because I've published magazines for, you know, mortgage broking associations, I'm a champion, <clears throat> as you are, for mortgage brokers yep. because they're able to get you the best deal. Yeah. And there's, they, the old, there's, there's the old one who, who will disappoint, but see, the majority have done really well and they are actually producing uh, uh, producing more loans than the banks now. They do, they mm. do. They're unstoppable. I think the banks thought that they were going to go away, but they're not. They're no. not going anywhere. And the thing about these mortgage brokers is you've got most of them there are very big mortgage-broking organisations, but a lot of them are small business owners. And mm. so they just want to look after the customer. Yeah. And that's a lesson that maybe the banks, you know. Big banks could learn yeah, from. Could yeah, learn. Finally, you've got a cyber security expert sharing his tips on keeping your money safe. We do. And, you know, there is so much talk about cyber security. I mean, we live in an online world. All of our Banking is done online. So much of our confidential information, our passwords, you know, how much money we've got, what our assets are, it's all there. And for that deep, dark web that they talk about, you know, that goes on apparently day and night, people yeah, trying to hack hack and um, and get people's details, you know. It's, it's an evil criminal world. It's the importance to be aware, firstly, that you could be invaded, you could lose money. And so we've had... Fabulous article by um, one of our contributors, Thea McLaughlin. She actually interviewed her partner, who mm. is totally engrossed in this world. Mm. He's come up with lots of tips. And if I could share one or two yeah, of them for you, Peter, mm -hmm. and mm. your listeners, don't use public Wi-Fi. You think it's great, you know, free Wi-Fi, but, yeah. you know, 
highly um, vulnerable and uh, that comes from the experts. You know, if you've got sensitive information, and most of us do, don't take advantage mm. of public Wi-Fi. Fortunately, I'm so insensitive, I've got no sensitive information. So true, that's yeah. so true. We, okay, need, to, we need to talk more about Move that. On. But, uh, and then the other thing that was recommended was um, don't have a password, you know, like you do with, you know, it's sometimes yeah. too obvious. But so have the blog a and, the, and the age of your children. That's yeah, right. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But we have, all got that. But have a, a past um, phrase. Like so to it's be a or not to be. Yes. Well, maybe not that one's a bit obvious, but but it could be a conglomeration. Not to be or to be. Yeah, okay, okay, calm down. But maybe it's a conglomeration of words yeah. that you know means something to you and it's very, very hard to crack, yeah. you know, and that's the thing is that letters, you know, they can run algorithms, they can run letters, but it's very hard to crack Pass phrases. So, mm. lots more tips on that That's cyber good security. Idea, pass phrase, yeah. yeah, lots more tips on that cyber How about security article. To win? Would they get that one? You reckon? Oh, gee. <laughs> you just—you will never change, will yeah. you? But why did you marry that guy? I don't know. I'm still thinking about that. Um, but um, I've got to act. Slow learner, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, not oh. really. But um, but um, the uh, so much content there, Peter. Mm. Um, n- will never bore you. You'll never feel inundated because. Our aim is to help you understand and help you, as a woman, be financially independent and make choices. And if you're choices this, if that you're, I made that I shouldn't have made right, years yeah. ago. Well, yeah. you, you, see, telling money wasn't around then. It wasn't it around. around. You wouldn't have been stupid enough to marry me. <laughs> exactly. But the interesting thing is this: if you're not a woman, yes, and you're listening to this, yes, and you have a, a woman who you love, your partner, mm-hmm. your daughter, your wife, your mother. Tell them about silly money. Yeah, absolutely. P- spread the word. That's what we need. You know, that um, I interviewed an incredible woman who um, is the CEO of Future Super and she said the same. She actually said, thanks for doing this. She said, because Future Super is engaged in giving advice about ethically um, sustainable investments mm. and about um, climate um, sensitive investments as well. Mm. Great, great business. And she said, we need more of this. She said, I've got a daughter, young daughter now, um, I hope one day that she grows up in a world where she understands money and yeah. therefore has choices. Good stuff. Not Lauren to Jordan. marry you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very good. We'll, we'll cut that one out. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Lauren Jordan, thanks for joining us. My Chillymoney.com.au. Thank you for having me. And that's the show for this week. Thanks for joining us. I look forward to catching up with you next week. Clinton time! Clinton time! <laughs>